the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I shoot out in honey of God's grace because this is such a sensitive topic. I want to talk today about um, winning and not whining. Have you ever been around children, particularly, that whine all the time? You know, you can get in line at the grocery store and the kids are, I want, I want, I want. They go to Walmart or go to a toy store and it's just like whining all over the place. And isn't it kind of like fingers on a chalkboard when you hear kids whine? Isn't it that way? But I also find something else that the older I get, it seems the more I have moved away from whining as a child, but I'm back into whining a little bit more now as an older person. You know what they call us older people that sometimes whine? They call us curmudgeons. Have you ever heard that before? And we tend to be a curmudgeon. And we might joke about it. In fact, I think Carol was telling me there's a comic strip about a lady who's known as a curmudgeon. And we laugh at all of that. And, and we will because it's kind of funny, except when you put it up against the backdrop of Scripture. You know, and I did a study on this message so that I would maybe work more on me than you as I'm getting older on overcoming my whining and really move back into the world of winning again. I found out how serious God takes Christians who will be whiners. So as I bring this to you, it's not that I have an axe to grind or your mate told me I better speak on this. Not at all. But it's because God wants us to touch on this subject as well. I find sometimes that we'll move more into whining when our life that we have an expectant of doesn't happen. In other words, we kind of get in our little bubble. We got a safe little zone here. But as soon as that little safe zone changes a little bit, we kind of get cranky. Uh, I like what our dear brother said while we was leading worship today, that we move from gratefulness into grumbling and we need to go from grumbling back to gratefulness again. And that happens to us. But I also think it's a propensity in every human that we will grumble. There's this negativity about all of us, and we know that it's sometimes a very hard habit to break. And one of the reasons it's hard to break is because it seems like Madison Avenue is always telling us how bad we have it unless we buy something. And so we become unhappy with our life, what we own, where we live, who we're with, and it just goes on and on and on. So we just move into that world of grumbling. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it, and then throughout the morning, I'm going to kind of dissect that a little bit so that we can really understand it. So when we leave here, we leave in this room our whining and we move into the world of winning. We leave the room of grumbling into the world of gratefulness. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to read to you Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15, although I may go a little bit further in the morning that we have. Let me read to you in verse 14 of Philippians chapter 2, written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, while he had every, we might say, um, right to whine because he had the whole world come against him. And yet while he was in prison, he says this to those that are outside of prison. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, 
children of God without fault in the middle or in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, for some of you, it might help for us to take that whole idea of whining and break it down into four different kinds of whiners. Maybe you're only one of those. Maybe you're two of those. Maybe you're all four of those. I don't know. Now, I'm not trying to split a hair here. It's like a baseball game. There are four bases in a baseball game. First base, second base, third base, and home plate. They're all a little different, aren't they? But yet they're all part of the baseball diamond. So let's look at these four, and maybe you could check off which one you seem to be more like. And then we'll see if we can come out with some solution to that. Because I believe that if a habit can be learned, we can also unlearn a bad habit and relearn a good habit. So let's look at them. First one is the complainer type. This is the person that in the morning, they don't rise and shine. They really begin the day by rising and whining. And that generally tends to be how they are. They're the kind of person that will generally say, it's just not fair. I don't deserve this. Everybody else gets all the breaks. Why does this have to happen to me? So you have that feeling of complaining. Now, I was raised with a good dad. Now, there are certain aspects of my dad. He was a first-generation American, so he had to learn the American culture here. He had to learn English when he came here. He was from Europe, combination of Swiss and Czech, which was Bohemian, which in itself was kind of a anomaly. He never get, got past the eighth grade. Rough and tough, hard to diaper construction worker, lived in the cold climate of Chicago, and that was my dad. And yet I can tell you, my dad, I had never heard him whine one time. I never heard him whine about the food. I never heard him complain about traffic. I never heard him complain about the guys he worked with for, or he had the lead as he owned his own business. He never complained once. In fact, my dad's favorite line was when someone asked him, hey, Rudy, how you doing? Rudy would always answer the same way. Can't complain, doesn't do any good anyway. Have you ever heard that before? Can't complain, it doesn't do any good anyway. And I got thinking about that, and I, I think my dad is really right. Here's what I mean. When you complain, <clears throat> nobody really cares anyway what you're complaining about. And secondly, people probably think you probably deserved it anyway. So it really doesn't matter when you complain. That means all you're doing is perpetuating a spirit that is not solved, and the only person that can solve it is you. And now you kind of muddy up the waters with those who are around you. Now, if you think that's um, just an isolated case, when I did this study on the word complaining, I found it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it seems that it pervades Christians or God's people all the time in their complaining, which means that none of us should sit back and say, well, this message isn't for me. I think in this message, there's something about whining for all of us, but particularly complaining. Look, if you will, at Exodus chapter 16. Notice this verse in verse 2 and 3. The children of Israel, they left Egypt. They're now in the desert waiting to get into the promised land. And here's what they say. It says, then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. Let's stop there for a moment. Would you like to take your pen and circle the word whole congregation? That means that they all complained. So I'm wondering that all of us will complain some of the time, and hopefully not all of us complain all of the time, but all of us complain, just like the children of Israel. Then you can maybe mark the word complain to let you know that they were complainers. Now I can understand they left Egypt, and now they're in this desert experience, often dry, not really much food. In fact, the kind of food they had they never had before called manna. They're wandering around. They really weren't in the promised land that was, quote, promised to them yet. 
So I guess if you looked at your external circumstances, they had some pretty good, in their minds, reason to whine, reason to complain. I think some of us, too, that if we begin to look at our surroundings, we can begin to complain. If we look hard enough, we can find a lot of things to complain about. Kind of reminds me of the man who, at night while he was asleep, his wife took a little bit of Limburger cheese. You know how stinky Limburger cheese is? And put it on his mustache while he was asleep. And he woke up the next morning, he says... Something stinks. Moons over at his wife and you stinking. The kids stink. The house stinks. The whole world stinks. When in reality, none of them stank, stunk. He stunk. And that's part of the complaining. And that's what was going on with the children of Israel. But look at how they complained. It says, and the children of Israel said to them, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. Basically saying, we had all the meat, we had all the bread we ever wanted, we had all these pots full, we could eat any time and as much as we wanted, when in reality, go back with me down memory lane. What were they really doing? From before dawn, they would have to go out to get work, to get the sticks, to make the bricks, and they had to do it faster and faster and more and more and more, and if they weren't, they were beat, they were marginalized, life was, was taken away from them, they came home dog-tired, skinned up, sweaty, dirty, worn out. They weren't celebrating around those pots of food as limited as it was. You see how your mind plays games? We like to go backward and remember those thrilling days of yesteryear when if we really did go back, those days weren't always so thrilling. And so now they're complaining and they want to kind of go back and they're complaining to the Lord. Look at how it moves from that portion of Scripture in Exodus and it now goes a little bit further into Numbers here. It says, now when the people complained, there it is again, It displeased the Lord. Would you mark that? It displeased the Lord. So let's just stop there for a moment. When we complain, whether we complain in our heart, under our breath, out loud, or we even blast people with letters and we complain, it displeases the Lord as a child of God, as a person for God when we complain. But it goes on, it says, for the Lord heard it, which means that the Lord not only hears our voices, he not only knows our language, but even hears my heart. So when I kind of do a little sin management, nobody knows that I'm really upset. Nobody, you know, I got it under control because I've learned how to Christianize my words. God still hears that heart when I'm thinking, you creep. You know, God knows all of that. But it goes a little bit further and it really gets dangerous now. And it says, and he is displeased. Is that what scripture says? No, it doesn't. It says, and his anger was aroused. So think of the word anger. If you follow that train about how the Lord hears the complaining, it displeases him, it rises his anger, and then what he does, he actually sends fire down on these people in complete judgment. So here's what I'm thinking. Is it possible that because I am a complainer, that maybe the life that I have right now is a result of my own complaining, that God is putting his own fire into my life right now? In other words, fire consumes Am I not getting the best of what I could get because God is bringing me to a point of knowing that when I complain, it is really bothering the Lord? Now, when you hear that, that's first-level thinking. In a little bit, I'm going to build on this idea of complaining because it's not just keeping your mouths closed and not complaining to other people. There's a deeper spiritual issue. When we complain, it's not just a bad habit that we break. It's a complete mental thought pattern of how we see God in all of this. And so it's really not so much about our complaining as much as it is about how we really think of God that causes the complaining. 
So it becomes very serious. And of course, I've given you another reference in Matthew how that it's not just the children of Israel in the Old Testament. It's even illustrations that God gives in the New Testament when people think that it's just not fair. Well, I don't want to just pick on the whiner who's the complainer. Let's talk about the whiner who has that martyr syndrome. This is the person that says, no one appreciates me. No one really cares all that I do. I do more than others. Don't they see me? They don't compliment me. They don't appreciate. They don't send thank you notes. They don't do things. I'm the poor martyr in all of this. Well, again, that's another form of whining, and you'll find it in, again, Numbers and Elijah, First Kings, and even Jonah did all of that. Now, what about the martyrs? Yes, even though they feel like a martyr, they do have parties, but they're called pity parties. They sit around and they just kind of say, nobody sees how much that I'm doing, and of course, sometimes that works. And that's the unfortunate thing. When they do say, no one really appreciates me, some cultures will immediately go to that person and say, oh, no, 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 we do appreciate you. We, we're so sorry. We do thank you. You're so great. And that just feeds that person. Okay, I feel you really great. And now they manipulate others to keep filling that tank instead of developing that relationship with the Lord. And so all we're doing is feeding a martyr's con, uh, complex instead of realizing we never need to have a martyr's complex. If anybody should have a martyr's complex, it would be the Apostle Paul. He said, even when no one was with me, there was Luke. And then he said, and the Lord is always with me. So even when he was being martyr, he could still keep his eyes on the Lord, knowing that it's all for him as well. But then there's the third type of whiner that would be called the cynic. This is the person that says, you know, nothing will ever change. It's always going to be like this and it'll never get any better. Nothing will work. We've never done that before. So why should we try? So they're very cynical about life. They sit back and they want life to then give them with their um, eggs all the bacon with it instead of just saying maybe I can do something with it as well. So you have the cynic. And again, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2 and 3 kind of speaks to that when it says, vanity, vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Woe is me, he's saying. What profit is any man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Nothing really goes right. If it rains soup, all I have is a fork. Nothing happens good for me. All right, that's that kind of person. That's that martyr that's out there. In reality, the Bible does say this. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whatever you sow, you will reap. So you sometimes have this coming at you as well. Good things if you want to. Then the last one is what I call the perfectionist. This person can also grumble because a perfectionist is someone who sets a high standard generally for themselves, I get it, but also for the people around them. Almost that high standard is so high that it becomes an unrealistic standard for them so in that case, people never are able to live up to that unrealistic standard that the perfectionist state, uh, sees or uh, set, states, um, sets. But then that person is looking down on everybody because nobody can do it good enough. Nobody will get it done right. Nothing will ever happen better. And so the perfectionist lives in a whole world of being defeated. And so they say things such as, you can do better than that, or is that the best you can do? Look at the verses I selected here. And I don't know if this is a per perfectionist, contentious woman, but let's see how it would be like living with someone who's a whiner, perhaps a perfectionist. Proverbs twenty-seven fifteen says, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. And then Proverbs twenty-one nineteen says, Better to dwell in the wilderness as far away as you can than the, where it's quiet than with a contentious and an angry woman. Well, I got thinking about those two passages right there for a moment. And ladies, I'm not really picking on you because men can be the same way. But when you hear that continual dripping on a rainy day, at our house, our bedroom is on the second floor and we have rain gutters. And our, it is very rainy up our side of the, the valley there in Kuleo'o. 
And when it rains, it'll rain. And we love the sound of the rain in the house because we're right up there by the roof, of course, on the second floor. So it sounds so good, so soothing. But then after it rains, then the water kind of drips off the roof. It hits our rain gutter. And then as it's going down the chute, there's a little elbow right there. And it's right by my head. And so in the middle of the night, after it rains, after I get a good night's sleep, what's waking me up is this drip, 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 drip. Now that's okay if it was a steady cadence, but it's not. It's drip, 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 drip. You know, and it just drives me nuts. But now that's not like it was in the Bible days because they had no rain gutters. In the Bible days, they had houses that were basically boxes. And when it would be raining, it would rain on top of the roof of their house. And on the roof of their house, it was made out of mud. Sometimes they would grow things. They would store things on their roof. And if it rained a lot, that rain then would then come through that hard, dried mud, soften it up, and then you would have these drips inside the house with muddy little drippings going on. It kind of reminds me about 11 years ago when we came here to accept the call to this church. We had buckets all here collecting all the rainwater, and it would drip, 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 drip. And how I'd know where they would be, there'd be another puddle in the carpet. We'd get another bucket out and we'd chase all these drips all over the place. That's like a person who whines all the time. It's like drip, 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 drip. Now that other verse that talks about going to the wilderness rather than being around a contentious woman, I really got thinking, how does that make sense? Most of the men today, when they don't want to be around their wives, where do they usually go? Well, where everybody knows their name. You know what I mean by that. Generally to a bar. You, you get what I'm saying. And I'm thinking, well, how does that fit into the wilderness? Now, ladies, don't come at me when I give you this. This is what I'm thinking now. I'm probably wrong, and I'm going to hear this on the way to our afternoon activity from Kara. But it might be this, that that bar is as quiet as the wilderness because of how noisy dripping the complaining wife would be. So it appears to be much quieter in the bar than at home as the Old Testament people would go out to the wilderness. Now that I said that, I want you to know, I've known some men. You're around them all the time. It's always, always problems with them. They're complaining all the time. Would you say that with me? Reminded me of the husband one time that wanted to have eggs for breakfast. He wanted one scrambled and one over easy. So his wife lovingly did exactly what he wanted, but he still complained because she scrambled the wrong egg. Okay, so there's some guys that no matter what, they're going to complain about everything. So I don't want to take the guys off of this. And can I tell you that leaders can be that way? Let me just talk to you leaders that are out there. And I'm one of you, so I know what that is. We do have, I think, because of the gifting of leadership, an ability to discern often things right and wrong. My favorite phrase has always been, good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Well, all that will work for me because I always want to strive to be better. Sometimes on my days when I'm not walking in the spirit, I then look at other people and I think, they could do it better, or they're doing it better. That's not the best. They can even do better. And I begin to judge people. And all of a sudden, I kind of push more people away than I draw them to me by my whining spirit. Whether I complain, or whether that I'm a martyr, or whether I'm a person who's a perfectionist, whether I'm a cynic, it really doesn't matter. So I want you to know it can happen anywhere. Let me just throw one thing at you, and I say this as if I was on your back porch with my arm around you. If you have kids that are not the little kids that are kind of still overcoming that whining stage, but you have a little bit older kids, and you tend to see that they whine, they complain, they're cynical, they're perfectionist, you might ask yourself, from whom did they see that modeled? 
that they might pick it up from mom or dad that just seems to look at life as everything stinks around them. And so now the kids just feel like if it's just not exactly perfect, just and they kind of whine. Maybe now's the time for us to overcome that particular spirit. Let's go back to the passage. I want to get back into the word of God right here and go right into our, our uh, exposition here. Look in verse 14, verse 8. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. At least that's the translation I have. Take the word all, if you will, and will you circle that for just a moment? That means whatever you take on, whatever you accept to do, whatever you're told to do, whether you know you have to do as a responsibility, I don't care how bad it is, I don't matter how much it kind of caved in, it's not what you expected to do. There is no definer on this. There's no qualifier. It says do all things. It doesn't say do all things except... But it says whatever you do, whatever job you're given, whatever responsibility you've taken on, whatever you're being paid to do, whatever it might be, do all things without. Now, in the Greek, it's a different. It's in the present tense, so it says constantly be doing all things. So it's not just once in a while I'll do all things. It means every job, every responsibility, everything that you're giving, given, you don't whine about it. You don't complain about it. You don't play the martyr about it. You're not the cynic about it. You're not going to be a perfection about it. That doesn't mean you don't have a standard of excellence. We get that. But then we don't sit sit back as a curmudgeon and gripe about it. We do all things without it. So maybe just take a moment right now. What job do you have? What role? What responsibility do you have that seems to bring out the worst in you? I know I have some in me. And there are certain areas in my life that it just seems like, uh, 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 you know, that kind of thing. We all have them. And God says, do all things without that. uh, uh, I need to step up for it. And then the second part of the phrase, it says this without complaining and disputing. And I thought, well, what's the difference between complaining or disputing? So I did a little greater study, and I came up with this, that the word complaining means it's a word that's used that when you speak, you speak negatively, but you do it in a low tone. You do it softly. We would say we do it under our breath. It would be like you tell your kids to do something and as you walk away, you hear them saying, nee, 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 behind you. Has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever heard? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. Or, yeah, you know what I'm saying. That would be the complaining part, doing it under your breath. You do it and then when they go out and the door closes, you sit there and grumble, 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 murmur, 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 grumble, 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 grumble. All right, that's what you're doing. That's what this word says. So it says, do all things without the murmur, 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 grumble, 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 under your breath. And you, you, you tell your best buddy or your girlfriend or your brother or your sister and you kind of close the door and you grumble with them when parents can't hear you, when the other people, you did. So it's low tone. It's contained, but it's still just as poisonous. Now, the next word is another neat word. It's the word disputing. Now, that's the word dialogue. That's the word argue. That's the word disagree. Now, when you see that put together, you have to put it under the, uh, you have to put it against a bigger backdrop. Here's what I mean. When it says do things without disputing, it does not mean that you cannot give another perspective on an issue. It does not mean that you can never disagree. What this is saying in context is, is while you may disagree, do not be disagreeable. You know what I'm trying to say by that? Okay. You do sometimes have to say, let me give you another perspective. But it's how you share it. If you share it in love and kindness, you share it in a way that the other person might be able to receive it. But are you the kind of person that people don't even want to bring things to you any longer because you say black, or they say black, you say white. Okay, then they say white, then you've got to say black. And so every time you bring, all you want to do is bring out all the problems in it, why it's wrong, why it doesn't work, and you begin to argue about that. 
I, I want staff, at least my staff, to say, I think you could do it here. What about that? What about this? But when they come, I don't want them to dump that problem that they so wisely saw on me to necessarily solve. I like them to see it and then figure out, here's a solution. Here's some things we might be able to do to work it out. Because that way you disagree, but you're not disagreeable. You probably recall that I like to use the term unity room. I don't expect everybody on a particular point to agree 100% and be in the center of the room. But I believe the Bible would want us to be somewhere in the unity room around an issue so that we can see the technicolor surround sound of an issue and have a better perspective on it. And that's what it's saying here. Do all things without complaining and always being disagreeable, always arguing, always got to fight over this issue. Always saying, no, not me, let someone else. All right, that's what this is really saying here. So I think some deals with emotions and some deals with communication. So the next question would be, well, how do I win over my whining? Okay, I I get it. I get it, Pastor. I, I get it. I see where whining really, it bothers God. He gets angry. He judges over that. I can see that this thing is bigger than I ever thought it was. Secondly, I, I, I know that there's an issue. What do I do with it? Well, let me give you these because some of you may want to teach your kids this. Some of you may want to put this up and begin to work them through a biblical model to overcome the complaining because of how serious it is. So let me give you number one. First of all, you have to admit that it's a problem. And I don't mean it's someone else's problem, but it, it, it is a problem. It is a severe issue. I think it has kept many churches from growing. I think it has caused many people not to want to serve on a committee or a team. I imagine it has really hindered relationships between husbands and wives even, where they kind of just drift into only talking about a few things that they can agree on because the things that they don't agree on are way too many and they became so disagreeable and they whine all the time. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.